your Bibles with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you weren't here last week and you did not receive one of the um, outlines that we gave out, if you don't have one, please raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you, I think. You have some more of those? Raise your hand, keep it up so that way they can bring them to you. Hallelujah. It's for you to take notes. I pray that you will utilize it, not to scribble. Hallelujah. The book of Deuteronomy. I should turn there, right? That would be a good place to start. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. I'm sure you got it, so say so. And it says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your sons and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged therefore hear O Israel and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you are speaking to us, all that you have spoken to us, and all that you continue to speak to our lives, Father God, not only in Sundays, but, Father God, as you speak to us throughout our week as we get into and meditate upon your truth. Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray that you would give all of us, especially us fathers and parents, single moms, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Father, may your word and the words that I share not fall upon deaf ears. But God, may we hear, may we respond, whether it is in rejoicing or whether it is in repentance. But God, that we would respond to you. God, help us to be doers and not hearers alone. And help us, Lord God, as parents, as older believers, to think multi-generationally in discipleship. Help us to get a mindset, to get a vision and an understanding of what you've called us to do. For this, we thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so last week, um, some of you were not here, 
So I'm going to give you the same disclaimer I did last week again. And it was that in preaching this series of messages, there are a lot of things that I will discuss and that I will touch on and that I will talk about that will be hard. Not only hard, but they will be offensive. And for some of you, we have had conversations about certain things, and I don't want you to think that I'm up here pointing fingers at you. Amen. Because I'm not doing that. I am absolutely 100% trying to teach and preach the scriptures fully, and so that is my heart. And so ultimately, I have one of two choices. I can worry about the fact that I know you and I know some of what's going on in your life, And be like, I'm not going to touch on those things. Or I can be a faithful witness and a faithful minister for Jesus and say, you know what? I love you more than anything else. And as far as this goes, more than my reputation or anything. And I just want to share the whole counsel of God. Amen. And so I would choose to share the whole counsel. And so I don't want to offend anyone. I was very encouraged after last week's message because it stirred up a lot of questions. Amen. It, it, it brought up a lot of questions, and so I'm going to do my best to answer some of those today. But as you will see in the, in the handout that you should have, there in the front of it, it speaks of multi-generational discipleship. That is the mindset, and that is the heart for this series that will take us a few weeks to get through. And then when we're done with this, we'll go back into the book of Second Peter, run through that. We'll go through the book of Proverbs, and so that's kind of the idea of what we want to do. And so I want to say this because it just came to my heart right now and my mind, but one thing that is very important is that in the midst of this series, we will pause in the series to preach a message on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And I want you to begin praying passionately and and, and brokenly about lost people that are going to be in this place, that they would hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. That we wouldn't just passively take this as just another religious service, but that we would really understand the opportunity that God gives us. And that number one, that we would begin to pray with everything that is within us for those who don't know Jesus to hear his word, but also that we would begin to specifically look at who it is that we're going to invite to church on that day that doesn't know Jesus. Amen. And so very important for us to understand that. I'm not just going to preach another part of the series. I really want to share the gospel completely and just totally. That is it. And for that day, we're believing. We actually planned, and we were going to rent this. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a portable baptismal, and we were going to put it out there in the front of the church. The problem was the baptismal that we can rent is not big enough for us to actually do what we want to do. It's kind of like it's a little bit bigger than a kiddie pool, and I was like, ah, I don't know if that's going to have the impact, right? So we'll probably end up buying one of those maybe next year and do that in the baptism will be out there and then whoever comes they're going to get dunked on that Sunday amen If they want to give their life to Jesus, that's their opportunity to do it. And so ultimately, looking at the scriptures here, we find in the book of of, of Deuteronomy chapter 6 the explanation of what the children of Israel were to do as far as them being fathers. I told you last week that Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 is everything that is here in a nutshell. And so when we look back at the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see in more detail what we should be doing. If you look at verse 2 in your Bible, you will see here it says that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you you and your sons and your grandson all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged and so when we look at verse 2 we find clearly that God desires his people to think generationally in terms of discipleship 
We're not just supposed to think about us. We're not just supposed to think about our children. We're supposed to think about our children's children. We're supposed to think about their children. We're supposed to live our life in such a manner that every generation that we have the ability to impact by our lifestyle, that 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 will do something to cause major change within them and their generations. That's what our heart should be. And that's what God's heart here is clearly communicated. The reason why we need to get this concept is because the devil has it and he works works overtime to destroy families generationally. He works overtime to make sure that he can infuse families with divorce, with adultery, with bad habits, with things that are just ungodly, with drug addiction, alcoholism. He does his best to to bring a person who is drunk and then introduce a child who is 10, 11, 12 years old to alcohol for the first time. Or take a person who is a drug addict and who is sitting there smoking marijuana and then decide, well, you know what, my nephew is there and so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give him a little hit and see if he likes it and I want you to know I'm talking about me I'm not talking out the side of my neck this is how that stuff happens in hopes that this person and this person is me right now that this person will never get to the place where I'm standing now preaching from a pulpit and let me explain this I don't mean that every person that walks the planet will stand behind a pulpit to preach the gospel but what I will say is that every person on the planet has a pulpit to preach the gospel from they are just in different places some of those places may be on a bus as a bus driver or a bus monitor some of those places may be as a receptionist somewhere some of those places may be as a waitress or a waiter somewhere but you have a pulpit to preach from and ultimately it's not about the platform upon which you stand to preach but it's about the gospel message that you are sharing and so what the enemy does is he does his best to destroy to cripple and to hinder people from sharing the gospel and what he wants them to do is to stay shut and he wants parents especially to be quiet And so what we have to understand here is that we have got to wake up because the enemy is not sleeping. The enemy is working overtime. And for some of us, we just need to clock in. The saying is like this, one generation will believe this truth. The next generation will assume the truth. And in the last generation, they will question, deny, refute that truth that grandparents held so dear. And that goes with everything. That, that, that's not just speaking of the Bible. That goes with all kinds of stuff. That goes with all kinds of things. That's the way that it happens. When one generation believes it and the next generation assumes it. And what do I mean by assuming? This is what I mean by clocking in. You don't just assume truth. Assume that your kids get it. Don't assume that. Don't assume that your kids understand why you sing songs, why you come to church, why you sacrifice financially. Don't assume that they understand why you get up early to be here, why you'll, you know, instead of staying home to watch TV, you'll come to church on a Wednesday. They they don't necessarily get that. And, And parents, let me encourage you. Don't just let that be like some religious thing. Oh, that's what my parents do. You know, the testimonies that we hear today, oh, we were in church seven days a week. But did they get it? Did they understand why or was it just some religious mandate? That's the reason. Let me say this, and and this is sincere. That's the reason why some parents nowadays, they don't want to make their kids go to church. Oh, because when I I was growing up, I had to go to church. That's good that you had to go to church. Thank God you're here today giving us that testimony. Mm -hmm. So what am I saying? Just be nasty and make your kids go to church? That may be how it sounds, but that's the devil. That's not me. Listen. 
What I'm saying is explain to your children the worth and the value of participating in the body of Christ. The worth and the value of coming to Bible study. The worth and the value of sharing in small group settings. The worth and the value of giving unto the kingdom and making sacrifices in our home. The worth and the value of what it really means to be a Christian. Not just some religious person. The bottom line is that we must become those disciples who live, teach, and intentionally pass on the gospel to the generations that we touch. Now, I'm just reiterating the stuff that I said last week, but what I want to do is I'm going to touch on this marriage topic, and then we're going to deal with the thing on dating, because I touched on it, and that opened up a whole can of worms, and so I want to make sure that we deal with those worms. Because I, I, I want to make sure that some things are clear because, you know, some of us are just kind of oblivious or in the dark to stuff. But I want to make sure you understand. I mean, especially me as a parent, the Bible teaches me some things. It says that I, you know, I'm supposed to be equipped to do what? To train the saints for the work of the ministry. My children, saints, hopefully, you know, you as saints are supposed to be equipped to do what? Train your children. Right? That's what's supposed to happen. And so, ultimately, if you believe the gospel, multi-generational discipleship will be a priority. If you believe it, listen, you can say you believe it all day long, but if you're not thinking multi-generationally in your discipleship, you don't believe it. You don't believe there's a hell because when you believe that there is a hell that the gospel clearly depicts, clearly confirms and communicates, when you believe that, listen, you are on the job preaching the gospel, living the gospel, sharing the gospel. You're not shoving the gospel down someone's throat. You are literally like the apostle Paul would. You are begging, beseeching, and crying out for your children especially to come to Jesus. And you want as much as possible for them to not even stray away from Jesus. And listen, this can be debatable what I'm about to say. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that I firmly believe, and and I'll use this as an example of what I'm saying. I remember uh, that there's a man by the name of Pastor Walter Perez, and he was one of the guys that was in youth ministry with me. And his testimony is this. He says, I don't know what it's like to go out and do drugs. I don't know what it's like to go out and live crazy and foul. I only know what it's like to be a Christian. He grew up in a Christian home, grew up worshiping, serving, seeking Jesus, and he never has a day in his life that he remembers being out there doing things ungodly. He has walked with God. And so what does that mean? That means that we have that same grace upon us as parents to do what? To raise our children the same way. Does that mean every single child is going to serve God? Listen, here's where the debate is. I'm not sovereign, so I don't know. But what I do know is that me as a parent, I need to live the standard, love the standard, and I need to be the standard at such a level that my kids cannot use me, my life, or my poor example as an excuse as to why they don't want to serve Jesus. That is what is supposed to happen in our lives as Christians. You believe the gospel, you believe in a hell, and you want to do everything you can to infuse the gospel into your children, into your neighbors. You don't just believe in hell, you believe in the sinfulness of man. And so you realize that discipline as a parent is not solely about correcting a child and making them morally correct. You realize that discipline is about driving foolishness out of a child's heart, and that way they can grow up to fear God, serve God, love God. You realize that that is all part of discipleship. And you realize that if you don't bring correction, your kids will never repent. And then they can never experience what else the gospel talks about, which is the glorious salvation that is in Jesus Christ alone. So if you believe it, you're going to live multi-generationally as disciple makers in your home. Amen? The first thing, repeat this after me. We talked about this last week. Marriage is fundamentally one of the clearest 
depictions of the gospel. Marriage is fundamentally one of the clearest depictions of the gospel. Marriage, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 4, it declares unto us there that marriage is honorable among all. And the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers will be judged. That's what the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says. So what the Bible teaches is that marriage is supposed to be held in high esteem. Say high esteem. Marriage is supposed to be held in high esteem by our children. Marriage is supposed to be held in high esteem by us as, as adults. Marriage is supposed to be held in high esteem and regarded as something that is honoring and glorifying to God. Being married is a place where you get to die and Jesus gets to be glorified. Well, I know y'all didn't want to get excited about that. It is the place where you, your flesh, listen, and, and that, that sounds bad, but can I tell you something? When you die to your desires, you will experience a life and a joy and a fulfillment in your marriage with your spouse that you will never living for yourself. Yes, y'all, y'all ain't going to, all right, glory to God. As we men and women live out our wedding vows, imitating Christ one to the other, we're evangelizing. That's what we're doing. We're demonstrating. You know, in, in our home, I don't know about anybody else. I can only talk about my family because I live within my family, right? And so I know that for us, we don't always agree on everything. I'm very opinionated, and my wife is always right. Husbands, that's how you work that, all right? You're opinionated. She's just always right. Glory to God. That means we have differences of opinion because when I'm coming with my wrong opinion to her, we, we, we disagree on stuff, right? We disagree. We have these disagreements. And you know where these disagreements occur sometimes? In front of my daughter. I, listen, I, I'm, 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 not, I'm definitely not the perfect parent. I haven't, I haven't mastered the art of closing the door. And, and I don't even get that sometimes because, like, doors are real thin. So do you think you're going to have, you're going to be like, listen, this is what I think. That's the only way that you're going to, and, and, and that only lasts so long because after many, hey, I got to explain, and, you know, and me, I'm a preacher, so I swear I'm preaching at all times. My wife is a worship leader, so she's elevating and, you know, projecting, and so we have a great time. So ultimately, there are times that we have discussion in front of our daughter, but you know what? And disagreements and sometimes heated ones, and I, and listen, and I, I, I'll tell you right now, I am imperfect, and I'm foul, and when I mean foul, I, I can make nasty faces, and I don't curse or nothing like that, because that's just not me. I don't do that any, any longer. I used to a long time ago, but I don't, you know, but when I got saved, I don't know, God, like, clicked that inside of me, so it's not an issue for me, but when I say I get nasty, it doesn't mean that because I don't curse, I can't be cutting doesn't mean I can't say things that you know really rub my wife the wrong way right and so you know what my daughter gets to see she gets to see us rubbing each other the wrong way and then forgiving each other and rubbing each other the right way uh-huh that's seeing the gospel in action it's seeing a marriage that is imperfect trusting a perfect God to help them walk in unity and your children don't just see that, but also other people around you, they get to see that as well. Here's what happens. Satan in our world system would have you believe that marriage is not necessary for happiness. You don't have to be married to be happy. You just hook up and you'll be all right. It is not, it is not necessary to be whole. You don't have to get married. You just hook up. You're going to feel the wholeness and it's going to be good. You don't have to be married in order to be fruitful. Now, obviously, we know that. You don't have to be married in order to get pregnant. Hello? 
But listen to me. The Bible clearly says, the scripture that I just gave you says that everyone that does not honor marriage, how do you honor marriage? You honor marriage by only doing what married people can do once you are married. Did you hear that? That is how you honor marriage. That is how you honor marriage. Don't play house. I told y'all last week, I'm from the old school. And what happens in, you know, the old school, the way that we thought about it, or not me, but, you know, the way folks thought about it, yeah, that's my wife. See, now, see, as we've done church for a while, you know, the pastors and I, we are always very quick to clarify, are you married? Because everybody introduces you as your husband or your wife. But I want you to understand something. Before God, that's not it. Mm Mm-hmm. In our culture, in our culture, it is important that you get this because our culture wants you to think one way, wants you to feel one way. But God says everyone who does this outside of marriage will be what? Judged. That's not, that, that's not a fun place to be. In our culture, and here's where the can of worms began to open up. In our culture, we want to, be, we want to keep people, young people, from marrying too early. We don't care if they're ready or not. We just, we, we, just, we just don't want them to get married before, I don't know, they graduate college. Or before they have the right income. Or before they buy a house. Or before their credit score is right. I don't know. We have our different things, different families. And so the point is, we don't even consider, are they ready for marriage? So here's the thing. We as parents must prepare our children for marriage. Remember, we're talking about generational discipleship, multi-generational discipleship. So one of the things that you have to teach and prepare your kids for is the opposite sex relationships that they will be in. This is part of multi-generational discipleship. And so how do we create an environment in our homes? How do we create an environment in our churches where marriage is honored? Well, the first thing is we live as examples. Say, live as examples. Live as examples. Not be, you, you, you will not be perfect. No one is going to be perfect. Some of us will hide our imperfection better than others. But we are still all in the same category of imperfection. Every one of us is in the same category of imperfection. Each of us needs to get that. But we still need to exemplify what marriage is supposed to look like, as imperfect as we may be. Listen, here's one thing that, I, that, that, is, that is probably one of the things that helps me to try to be the best dad that I can be and hopefully the best husband that I can be, is that I realize that if I am a fake, my daughter is going to bring home a fake. If I am a fake phony Christian. I shouldn't expect my daughter to go and hit the lotto. Because you know what she's going to look for? Someone probably just like me. Or she's just going to be like, I don't even want to be married because I don't want to be with someone like that. So either way, I dishonored marriage and totally messed stuff up. And so listen, dads, straight up, you want your daughter to have a hero? Don't be a zero. Be a man of God. Love your wife. Love your daughters. If you have sons, listen, I I say this, I don't have a son yet, and I am praying to God that we do get a son soon. But I realize something. 
If I want my sons or my son to be a man of God, I better be a man of God. I have to lead because it's not just about daughters. I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm particular when it comes to daughters. I have one. But ultimately, you have sons, then we must be men. Women need to be women of God. Show your sons what a woman of God is so he doesn't go getting some hoochie. Yeah, that's what I said. So he, so he recognizes when he can see all that, she ain't all that. <laughs> so he recognizes when he can see all that, she ain't all that. Because she's broadcasting everything that she's wearing. Hello, somebody. What's that for? I don't know the Bible. I, 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 don't, I read the Bible, and the Bible says that the woman is supposed to be modest. Say modest. I'm going to let you ladies figure out the definition of that. I'm going to leave it right there. But the bottom line is, that's what Scripture teaches. That's what Scripture teaches. So your son, he shouldn't be drawn to that because he's seen a modest, godly example in his mom. And his dad has taken the time to say, son, that's not what we look at. But see, if you have roaming eyes, dad, You're too busy because you ain't going to turn your whole head, right? You're going you to try to do it on a sneak and just as far as your peripheral vision will go, right? Because you don't want to get smacked by your wife and you don't want your kids to see you. But you missed him looking. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this wonderful topic that we brought up. The first one is to prepare our children for marriage, we must be an example. Not perfect, example. Say example. The second thing that we got to do to prepare our children for marriage is we need to counsel. Say counsel. We need to counsel our children in their opposite sex relationships. So how do we counsel them? Let's talk about dating. I got this whole paper here, glory. I ain't even going to get past this point. This is all we're going to get to today. But but it's all right. We're going to finish this marriage part here. Here's the thing. We have to think about this whole dating relationship. Why? Well, my daughter's 10 years old. Do you think she's going to be dating anytime soon? Absolutely not. To confirm that for you if you were looking for confirmation. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, if I'm going to be totally honest with you, it's a, it, it's, it's a daddy's heartbreak to have to think about his baby girl dating some... Mm-hmm. Listen, man, I, I don't... I know what I was like <laughs> before I met Jesus. Remember the statistics I gave you? That by like 12 years old, right, all these boys are looking at pornography. What do you think they want to see? Your daughter naked. I know that doesn't sound like it should be preached from the pulpit. It needs to be preached from the pulpit. So what happens is I need to teach my daughter. I need to instruct because here's what will happen. If we don't think about our children's future, we will be reactive rather than proactive and leading them in biblically faithful, gospel-centered, and God-honoring relationships with the opposite sex. So do you want to be a reactive parent or you want to be a proactive parent? I had a conversation with my daughter this morning because she was going to be sitting in here, and I didn't want to be embarrassed. I mean, I know I've communicated this, but I just wanted to be sure because, you know, sometimes I communicate stuff, and she doesn't necessarily get it all the time. Um, some of the stuff, I mean, honestly, I think that your kids, you'll see, like I, like, I have nieces and nephews raised in a totally different environment. And it's like my niece is like 15 years old, and she's like 10. Just the way that she thinks, the way it's, it's a total. My daughter, different. 
My, my, my daughter doesn't understand what sex is. My daughter doesn't understand all of those things yet. Now, mind you, my wife and I, we're going away on vacation. We're going to read this book, and we're going to have the first real conversation. Praise the Lord Jesus, because around 10 years old, that's when they suggest you should start having conversations. Not one conversation, conversations, right? Keep walking them through this as they get older, as boys. Anyway, my question to my daughter this morning was, I said, listen, you do understand that if a boy ever comes and tells you that he likes you, you need to point him in your daddy's direction. And she's like, yeah. I said, okay, good. Just as long as, we, as, long as we're clear there, we're good. <laughs> I'm good. Any boy ever gets crazy, mm-hmm, you need to go talk to my dad. Don't come talking about nothing. Why? Because that's the way. Because you know what? Here, here, here's what I understand. Dads are not teaching their kids, go talk to the dad first. You know, you, know, you know what kids do? They, do? they do worse than what I did because obviously, you know, as generations, it continues to get progressively worse. When I was a kid, oh, you want to be my girlfriend? Yeah, all right, we hooking up, making out in the hallway somewhere, you know, trying to be behind a corner. That's what we do. That's middle school. Yeah, that's middle school. <laughs> Jeez. I told you it's worse. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Let me say this to all of us that have daughters. It does not matter how well or how bad them boys are trained. You teach your daughter right, she's going to send them in the right direction. She is not going to come and be like, oh, well, you know, he said he liked me, and so daddy here's, daddy, what? He needs to come talk to me. We need, we need, we're we going to get there in a moment. Hallelujah. I got a little excited. Let me, let me, let, 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 let me finish. So here's the thing, though. When we look at the topic of dating, when we look at this topic of dating, what is scriptural? Well, let's look at this. As we look at the scriptures, we find that dating in our present day understanding is non-existent. You do not find a word. As a matter of fact, I did a search on my laptop, and I went into the, into the thing, and I did dating. And there was one um, hit that came up for dating, and, it was, and, and it was the, I think it was the word date, and it actually was in, like, the book of Ephesians or something like that. And it talked about, you know, according to the date that was set. It had nothing to do with people dating, okay? It was a date that was set by God the Father, and that's what it talks about. And so, ultimately, we don't find that in the Scriptures. Therefore, we must choose. We have a choice here. I want to make this clear to every parent, every young person in this place. We have a choice in this matter. We can choose to either lean on our own understanding and be led by our culture as it changes and declares what is appropriate and what is acceptable, or we can study what the scripture shows us in relation to the topic of opposite sex relationship and ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom as to how we should navigate and direct our children in this extremely vital aspect of multi-generational discipleship, which is marriage. See, I, I, I don't want you to lose sight of this. When we're talking about dating, we are talking about preparation for marriage. And what your Bible may not talk about is dating like we know it, but it does deal with opposite sex relationships. It shows you what these relationships were made of, how they should be approached, and how they should be handled. That's what the Bible gives us. And so we have to do what? Here, first of all, this is what we have to do because this is our problem. We don't want to hear what the Bible says first. We want to try to come with our experience or we want to try to come with our question of, you know, of, of, of a way that we think about something. And then we go and, and, and we're trying to fit that into the scripture instead of saying, okay, God, what do you say in the scripture? I had a, I had a conversation. I told Mia that I was going to use her for an example. Um, 
And after our conversation, we got together, um, after the preaching, actually, we got together and we were talking. And so in the conversation, the topic came up, you know, regarding dating. And she asked me, you know, a question, which I think is probably a typical question that most people will ask. And I'll do my best to answer it a little bit later on. But the question was this. Well, if they don't date, how are they going to know who the right one is? See, it's quiet up in here because y'all thinking the same thing. Well, how, how are we going to figure it out? Okay. I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at the Bible. But let's talk about relationship, opposite-sex relationship. What do we see? We see three basic categories of opposite-sex relationships. The first category would be a familial relationship. Family, father-daughter, you know, that type stuff, you know, brother-sister. When you go into the New Testament, you'll find the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 2. Paul tells Timothy, he says specifically in his way to relate to younger women, He tells Timothy, he says, not to rebuke an elder. In verse 1, he tells him, don't rebuke an elder harshly, but respect them as a father. To the older women, you treat them and respect them as mothers. To the younger women, it is assumed that Timothy was a single guy. To the younger women, to the women that you would be attracted to, to the women who may be attracted to you, to them, treat them as sisters, and he emphasizes it with all purity. Treat them as sisters with all purity. Have the right mindset in dealing with the opposite sex. Have the right mindset in dealing with those who what? Those who you might be attracted to, might be attracted to you. Treat them like sisters. Now listen, I want you to think for a moment. Just pause, just just get your mind in this. How do you treat your sister? Are you groping all up on her? Are you trying to see, you know, what kind of panties she has on? Let's keep it real now. How how do do you treat your sister? You sit down and you have meals with her, don't you? You're not thinking nasty thoughts about your sister. So what does Paul say? Paul is telling us that opposite sex relationship begins for the Christian with the mindset, that is my sister in Christ, that is my brother in Christ. That is where the relationship starts. Our culture starts at, yo, she's hot, man. Or he's whatever. And so we look at all of these physical attractions and we move past. We're not looking at sister or brother. We're looking at, "Mm mm-hmm. That's what happens in the church. That's how we look at this. We don't view this the way scripture says, again, we need to view things. The way. So, what, so what, what happens when I'm looking at someone the wrong way? Repent. What happens when I'm thinking thoughts that I shouldn't be thinking about because I'm not married? Listen, it is okay for all of you that are married in here. Listen, all day long, think about your spouse sexually. Now, listen, do your, do your work, okay? I'm, I'm not, don't. You understand my point? On your breaks, give glory to Jesus. Think about your spouse. My God, I can't wait to get on. That's cool. But if you go home from church thinking about sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, and like, man, I can't wait to come to church next time so I can see them in the wrong way. Repent. That is sinful. That is not the way you would look at your sister. This is what Paul admonishes a young man who he goes on in that that book as well to tell him, let no one despise your youthfulness. So he's speaking to a young man who, you know, 
And, and I don't know why, but, you know, men's biological clock tick, too. Hello. They want to do things. They have d- different desires, obviously, not to have a baby and not even necessarily to get someone pregnant. But they have desires that are inside of them. And so what happens is he's speaking to a young man. He's giving him instruction as a father. That's how you treat the opposite sex. That's the first place that we see in Scripture or in the New Testament that we bring to this understanding. Throughout the Scriptures, you're going to see these different type relationships. You might see relationships that are, that are, that are um, business type, but the mindset that should be there is a familiar mindset with your sisters or brothers in Christ. The second type of relationship that we see in regards to marriage is the one called betrothal. And you see this, and I'll give you scriptures, is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Luke chapter 2, verse 5, and it's speaking specifically there of Joseph and Mary. And so for those of you that don't know what being betrothed is, being betrothed was like our present day engagement on steroids. Now let me explain to you what I mean. When you get engaged today, you are committed, you know, you put that ring on the finger, you work for it, whatever the case may be. You, you are engaged, you are committed to being married. You know, some people go through different situations. But here's the thing, if you decide that you are going to break off the engagement for whatever the reason is, you know what you have to do to do that? Take the ring off, let the person know, and you, and you both walk different ways. When you were betrothed to someone, you were actually married. The only thing was you hadn't had sex yet. So if you wanted to be divorced, you know what you had to do? You actually had to go and pay for a divorce. You had to go and do this the right. That, that was betrothal. So that's what you did. So these people, they went, you know, and however they worked out, and we'll talk about that in a moment, a lot of these things were prearranged marriages that occurred. That's the way that they did them. That's an option. Y'all look real quiet. Like, no, that's not an option. Yeah, it, it is an option. It's, it's an option. It, it is an option. It's a viable option that we find in Scripture. And so we find here the betrothal part. And then the other opposite sex relationship would obviously be marriage. So you get married, and then you're married happily ever after. Glory to God. Right? We don't need to dig in deep on that one there. But here's what I will say about marriage. We see marriages throughout Scripture that are official in the culture. Our culture. Now listen to me. This is what you need to realize. Our culture requires someone to have a marriage certificate to be married. Are you hearing me? Living together, sleeping together, having one bank account together, all of that is all good. None of that says you are married. Do not think that God says, oh, well, you know, they're doing everything else. They just haven't put it on paper. No. They will be judged until they get it on paper. And here's what I want to, and I want to emphasize this. It's not just about, don't, don't do this. Here's, here's, here, 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 here's where the problem comes into play. People want to cover their own sin. So I am going to get it on paper so I can keep sinning. What do you mean, Bishop? Well, you're sinning outside of marriage. You are having sex. You are doing whatever you're doing outside of marriage. That is sin. I'm not going to repent of my sin and stop having sex. I'm going to cover my sin, get married, and keep doing what I'm doing. Now, on this side of the marriage certificate, is it sin? No. It's not sin. But instead of you repenting of your sin, you try to fix your own sin. Instead of responding to what God says, which is stop sinning against me. 
And I say this, I counsel plenty of couples, premarital counseling. I just upped the ante. I got a new book on premarital counseling. It's like six weeks. It's amazing. The first chapter is just like slapping everyone, including me in the face. I'm like, praise the Lord Jesus. But here's the thing. I sit down with couples and I explain something to them. When you decide that you are going to fornicate and have sex outside of marriage, you literally curse the foundation of your marriage. And can I tell you something? Statistically, most people that, and 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 I'm going to say statistically from marriages that I have counseled, those marriages that have had sex before marriage, many of them, not every single one of them, many of them experience infidelity in the marriage. You want to know why? Because sin was never repented of. Because you still had a lust problem. You just covered it up. But guess what? It's still there. And so what's the enemy going to do? He's going to try to make you focus somewhere else. Many of these marriages end up in divorce. This is serious. So we need to prepare our children to do things the right way. Would you not say amen? Amen. So let's talk about parents' involvement. The first thing was opposite-sex relationship according to Scripture. Parental involvement in dating. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. I want you to see the first place where we see any kind of parental involvement. And opposite sex relations. Genesis chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 15. When you got to say amen. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Okay. First of all, I want to point out some things here that you may, that we, I I say you and me, I, I know that I do. Skip over stuff. The first thing I want you to know is that before Adam was ready for a wife, he needed a job. Before he was ready, it wasn't like God said, okay, I made you stand up. Okay, now you need a wife right now. No, hold on a second. He puts the man over here. Man at least has his first day of work, glory to God. He's like, look, I want you to do, I put you in this garden. That's what he does. I put you in this garden to work. People think that work came after the fall. No, work was God's plan always. The thorns and the thistles, they came after the fall. The 80-hour work weeks, they came after the fall and after our economic crisis. Hello. Glory to God. But the next thing that we will miss here is verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to him. So who brings the wife to the husband? The father. 
This is the picture that is, that is there. Now, now, now here's, here's the thing. You're like, well, Bishop, you know, there was only two human beings on the earth and God, and so, you know, that's kind of over-spiritualizing. Listen to me. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize. What I'm trying to point out is the way that God does this opposite-sex connection. He brings. So that means that parents, say parents, should be highly involved in this process of opposite-sex relationship connections. Can someone say amen? Now listen, this gives us the first picture of how opposite-sex relationships should be directed by the Father. Parents must be participant in opposite-sex relationships, especially fathers when they are present. If you're a single mom, then the burden of weight lays on your shoulders and God will grant you the grace to lead your sons and daughters into the way that they're supposed to be. But if you are a father in the home, don't send your, your daughter, don't send your son to go talk to mommy about that. I was blessed. I went to the Arce's house, and when I was there, um, Brother Juan was telling me, he was explaining to me how Chastity, his daughter, comes to him and talks to him about all kind of stuff. That ble- He's like, man, I wish she wouldn't talk to me. And then, you know, but he was like, but I'm glad she does. And I'm like, praise God she does. Thank God that she comes and talks to you because that means that she's not going to come behind your back and go and tell your wife about other stuff she's doing. You dads, you are the keeper, the leader of your home. Don't cower in the face of tough conversations that you don't want to have. Buy a book and have the conversation if you have to. That's what I did. I'm just letting you know. I don't know how to, how on, anyway, that's a tough conversation. But it's a conversation that needs to be had on multiple occasions. And listen, I love my wife. My wife is a woman of God. Okay? I don't, I don't not trust my wife in any way, shape, or form. My wife will always give my daughter godly counsel when it comes to stuff. But let me tell you something. The weight of responsibility to counsel my daughter is not on her shoulders. It is on mine. It is on my shoulders. I can't pack the buck when it comes. Genesis chapter 24. This is another great picture of God's participation and the Father's participation in the involvement of the opposite sex relationship. Genesis chapter 24, just to bring it in a nutshell, that is where Abraham is old. Sarah has died, and so he is getting ready to die as well, and he goes and he gets his servant, and he says, listen, I don't want my son to marry one of these women from here. He needs to marry a woman from our homeland and this and that. And so the point of that is he's trying to preserve bloodline. He's trying to do right. How does this apply to us as Christians? Listen, you need to care about who your child is marrying on a spiritual level. Today, it's not about color. It's not about race. It is about spiritual life. Is, this, is the person that is interested in your child a Buddhist or a Muslim, or are they a Christian? That's what that's about. And so he tells him, listen, you got to promise that you're not going to do this. He goes and he says, well, what about if they don't want to come back? Listen, you promise me that you don't bring my son back, but that you bring him a wife. And so he goes through all of that. And so that's a beautiful part in the beginning. But then the servant goes, and when he goes over there, what does the servant do? The servant seeks God. He says, God, you've, you've heard the assignment that my master has put me on, and I pray that you give me favor this day. And he laid out the criteria. The Bible says before he finished his words. Rebecca shows up, says almost like she was reading his lips. And he's like, the Lord has given me favor today. And so then we see what? We see him bring, again, the servant 
because Abraham is elderly, is doing what? He is taking the position of the dad, and he is going to get a wife and bring it to the son. This is the way that the scriptures teach this. I'll give you another example. Genesis chapter 26, 34 through 35. This is actually Esau marrying. In Esau's story, it doesn't say that his mom or his dad went and got him, got him a wife. But what it does say is, number one, it tells you that he was 40 years old. That's one thing that it points out clearly. The second thing is it says that he got, he got wives from the sons of Heth. So they were wives from there. And you know what the scripture says? The scripture says that it caused them grief. It grieved them. Because they weren't involved in the process. You know how many parents you see that grieve over their children's choice of marriage? Well, don't complain if you weren't involved. Don't complain if you wouldn't counsel. Don't complain if you wouldn't have conversations. Don't complain if you were absent. Emotionally and verbally. Don't complain. Just suck it up. That's what you have to do. Because you were not involved in that. She got a deadbeat. He got some gold digger. All right, well, were you there helping the process? No? Okay, well, then that's, that's on you. Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, that's another scripture. Shows us clearly here. This is Samuel, I mean Samson. Samson goes down to Timnah. What does he do? He saw a woman he liked. He comes back to his daddy and says, hey, I saw a woman I liked. Go get her for me. Listen, he saw, he saw someone that he liked, and he said, go get her for me. You know what his parents do? His parents counsel him against it. They're like, listen, is there not a woman among your people that you can get that you're going to go over here and, you know, take a woman from over there? So here's what we see. And then it, it goes bad for him. Right? God used it for good, right? God had a purpose. He knew it was going to go bad. He knew that Samson's bad decisions. He sometimes, listen, don't make bad decisions so you can bring glory to God. Did you hear me? Listen to godly counsel. You don't, you don't need to make any, listen, your life is going to be hard enough without your own bad decisions. Things are going to be tough enough. The point of the matter is, he comes to his parents, his par he doesn't listen to his parents, he ends up going over there, wife betrays him, dude gets so angry, he, he murders a whole bunch of people. Because things went wrong. He didn't listen to his parents, he didn't listen to his parents' counsel. For the young people in here, listen to your mother and your father, Amen. The book of Ruth chapter 3 is another place that we see an example. We see Naomi acting in the place of Ruth's mother and getting her a husband to the degree that she instructs her and shows her exactly what it is that she needs to do. Because here's the, here's the story with Ruth and Boaz because some people will, will misinterpret Ruth's story and be like, well, Ruth was the initiator, Boaz wasn't. you got to understand the culture. And you got to understand that what Ruth was doing was an ancient tradition when a younger woman was saying to an older man, I will allow you to marry me. Instead of looking for other younger men, she had to do something to make it clear to him. It wasn't that she was being, you know, crazy. And just going up there, you know, laying at his feet. It wasn't like she went and snuggled with the dude. She laid at his feet, and it was a custom that they had because Boaz was older, and this is such, such a beautiful picture, because Boaz would not have ever considered to even approach Ruth in a marital manner, except Ruth did that. And when she did that, what does Boaz reply? He's like, man, you've honored me more than anything because you didn't even go after a younger man, but you have chosen me. And it was because he was a kinsman redeemer, and we see the story. But what do we see? We see the mother giving counsel to the daughter. Again, 
Widowed mom, single mom, giving counsel to a daughter. Look at Ruth was a Moabite, and she ends up in the bloodline of Jesus. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. That is some good counsel. She, she should have been nowhere near that bloodline. She ends up as part of that. Why? Because of good counsel. And obviously from the divine hand of the Lord. Amen? The book of Esther chapter 2, and I'm almost coming to the close of this portion. The book of Esther chapter 2, it shows us Mordecai's fatherly involvement, his counsel, and his concern for his daughter Esther. Now Esther wasn't his biological daughter. Esther's dad had died, and I think that they might have been cousins or something like that when I'm reading it. But the point of the matter is, Mordecai was in charge. And so the first thing Mordecai does, he doesn't have the ability, because remember, the king, he makes an order. He wants all the virgins to appear before him. So there's really not much that Mordecai can do. It's like he can, I mean, he could have probably ran away with her. But instead, he says, you know what? Just don't tell him who you are. So he gives her counsel as to what she needs to do. And then the scripture says that he is walking, pacing every single day outside the gate to see what's going on going on with her. That is the way that a parent is supposed to be. Don't just have one conversation every day. And when I say every day, I'm not trying to be exaggerated. I'm trying to drive home the point. You need to continually be in communication about what is going on, especially when your children enter into those years when opposite sex relationships become permissible in your home. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians because I'll close this in the New Testament, this portion, and we'll go on to my third point here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where the Bible speaks about marriage or the Apostle Paul. He speaks on marriage here and he gives some instructions. And so if you look at verse 36 with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 36. And he says, but if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin. Now I want to pause for a moment because I look this up continually all different kind of commentators because I wanted to understand clearly, was this talking about a man who is betrothed to a virgin or is this speaking of a father who has a virgin daughter? It is clearly a father who has a virgin daughter. And so what he says here is, but if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, now let's pause for a moment because what this is saying is that if she is not at the prime of her life, so if she's an older woman that's past the years of childbearing, so that means that people kept their virginity way up until then. Hello, somebody. It wasn't like a written rule that you got to be, you know, uh, you can only be a virgin up to 21, and then, you know, and that's like, for some people, that's even crazy now. But ultimately, again, this is speaking to the dad. The dad's responsible for doing what? For watching over his daughter's virginity, for making sure that his daughter is pure, so he goes on to say, but if he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. So what he's saying is here, she can marry. It's not sinful to marry. Because what happened was, fathers, you remember how Samuel was dedicated unto the Lord? Fathers would dedicate their daughters unto the Lord as well and say, you know what, they're going to be kind of like what we would do a present day nun. They're going to stay pure and they're going to do this. And so what, what Paul is saying here is, look, if you made this commitment with your daughter and you let her marry, you're, you're fine. If she wants to be married, he goes on to say in verse 37, Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart with that commitment he's talking about, having no necessity, meaning that his daughter is not pressuring him, his daughter doesn't want to be married, but has power over his own will, he's not being coerced in any way, shape, or form, 
and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, he does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. The reason why it says he who does not give her in marriage does better is because what? When you're not married, you don't worry about anything except the Lord. That's all you worry about. That's what he's saying. Is he saying marriage is sinful? Read the whole chapter. You'll see absolutely not. He starts in the beginning. When I asked last week, when is a person ready for marriage? And Pastor Robert said, he said, when a person burns. And mind you, he wasn't trying to give like a full breakdown of the criteria. He was simply pointing out one portion of scripture. And so when a person burns, that means a person has passion. Listen to me. If you are a person who doesn't have any kind of passion, then you may be a good candidate to stay single. And just because you want to have sex does not mean that you are ready to get married. Let me say that again. Just because you want to have sex does not mean you are ready to get married. It doesn't mean that you are at that place because, again, between 12 and 18 years old, the greatest, the, the, the greatest um, consumers of pornography are who? Boys, those ages. Trust me, they want to have sex all the time. It's always on their mind. So what are the biblical options for dating? There's three. Three biblical options for dating. The first one we already talked about and y'all were stood real quiet on, and that's called a prearranged marriage. Because dating, listen to me, dating is not just about, like, tasting. That's our culture's way of dating. You got to date over here because you got to see what that's about. You got to test drive before you buy the thing. Mm -hmm. That's nowhere found in your Bible. Listen, the test drive means you get all up in it. Hello. You drive, you t take some turns with it, you know, feel everything out, see how everything fits. That, that's what a test drive is. And so ultimately, that is what our culture will tell you that you need to do. But we have one option here. When we talk about dating, opposite sex relationship, going to that next level, you have prearranged marriage. You all know how that works, and you'll be surprised. Go ahead and look at Wikipedia or wherever, and you'll see how many cultures that is still something that is happening all over the place. I was listening to one pastor. He was talking about prearranged marriages, and he was saying this. He said that he actually went to a country where there was a, there, there was a family, and th their son was in one of those situations where he was about to enter into a prearranged marriage. And so he, you know, he had never met someone that was in a scenario like that. So he asked the son, well, how do you feel about, you know, this prearranged marriage? And he said, well, I'm okay with it. He said, because my parents have a great marriage, and I want a marriage just like theirs. They know what I like. They know what I'm about. They know what's good for me, what's not good for me. And so you know what? I trust their judgment. And so if they're telling me this person is probably going to be good for me, then I'm going to trust that they did the right thing because they're going to lead me in that direction. Some of y'all still couldn't say amen to that. The bottom line is, the bottom line is, this is, a, this is the child that has honored marriage and saw a marriage that was a prearranged marriage that worked because automatically we go to coming to America when we think about prearranged marriages for us that are older. I'm going to leave the kingdom so that way I can pick a woman that I love. Are you serious, bro? I mean, that, that's not the mindset that we're thinking about here, okay? That's an option, scriptural option. This is what happened when you look at the whole story with Isaac and Rebecca. Prearranged. I mean, it was prearranged pretty quickly. Nonetheless, prearranged. And you'll know if you, read, you just read that chapter 24, I think at the end of there is when it says she was coming in. She saw, her, she saw him in the field. She said to the servant, is that my master? Said yes. The Bible says that she jumped off the horse or camel, whatever she was riding, went into his mother's tent. She became his wife, and that was it. That was the way the culture said it. It wasn't like, okay, we got to go through a whole interview process and all of this. God's hand was on it. Notice what I just said. God's hand was on it. You don't need to go taste testing all over the place. God knows who is for you. And he knows who you're for. Mm -hmm. Prearranged marriage. 
The second option that some of y'all might like this better. It is courtship. Say courtship. Now listen, I'm giving these names. You're not going to find courtship in the scriptures. I'm simply giving it something so that way you can reference what courtship is about. The note that I have next to courtship is this, is that he needs to shake my hand before he holds hers. Courtship is he comes to get to know daddy, and daddy is the one who will determine, is that relationship going to go any further than him and I? Did you hear what I just said? Any further than him and I. We need to have a conversation. And listen, I'm preaching right now. I'm not going to be like this with him. At least I hope not. It all depends. You know, it just, it just depends on how, how crazy he is, you know, when he comes to I'm, just, I'm, I'm sure he's not going to be crazy. But ultimately, I hope he's not crazy because I have to get crazy and then I'll be resigning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, it is about me getting to know whoever it is who's interested in my daughter. I told you all last week, Pastor Aldo and Minister Vanessa, they were my favorite couple, right? I didn't give you any details why. We really didn't get into the whole conversation. But they had what I would consider a present-day courtship, right? Would you agree, Vicente? Absolutely. Hallelujah, Vicente. It's like, yes. (laughs) Pastor Aldo, first of all, let me point something out to you. When Pastor Aldo met you, he had a job, didn't he? He was a man. He wasn't a boy, all right? He was a little older than her. That was scary for the dad. Absolutely, I would be scared too, right? Here's the point. He had a job. He was responsible, had a vehicle. He was, he was, a, man. He, he was a man growing into, he was a young man growing into being a man. He was interested in her, had a conversation with the parents. Now, all of their courtship when they were together, one of the things that stood out in their relationship that any other relationship of any of my leaders, they never abided by this. They were never, ever alone. They didn't go hang out in his bedroom to watch a movie. They didn't go hang out, you know, somewhere at a park all by themselves. They didn't go sit in the backseat of the car. You know why? Because there was someone in the backseat of the car when they were in the car together. It's called a chaperone. And what happened was that chaperone didn't allow them to get hot and heavy when they were together. He allowed them to be as brotherly and sisterly as possible and still get to know each other. That is the route the Quinones family will go. Courtship all day long. There is no question. And if that boy or young man will not agree to that, he don't want to date my daughter. And listen, I wish she was here because she was supposed to be. But listen to me. If she has issues with that, it's my house. I am the leader of this house. And listen, I'm saying this to y'all. I'm not going to be as mean like this. The point is, I am the leader of my house. When you are grown, oh, but Bishop, they're going to run out on you. No, they're not. Mm -mm, They're not. They're not. (laughs) If I got to sleep handcuffed to her. She is not. Listen, y'all think it's crazy. Y'all, y'all think I'm joking. My daughter sleeps in my room now. She will not leave. And I'm good with that. I'm like, yeah, we're going to buy a one-bedroom house with three bathrooms. Because we just need three bathrooms. We don't need any more bedrooms, just three bathrooms. That's, I'm going to have a custom home built just like that. <laughs> Seriously. Listen, I'm okay with that. 
And when we have a son, I mean, I'm already thinking, I'm like, man, my wife and I are going to have to get like bunk beds or something in order to be able to do that. But the point of the matter is, I don't care about all that stuff. Listen to me. If I am going to lead my daughter right, that's the route that we have to go. And you want to know what? This couple, they are a prime example of how this is the way you get to marriage, being pure. Not being in a situation where it is ungodly. Not being in a situation where you have to regret what you did before you got married. In courtship, there's also something else that needs to occur here. In courtship, in these relationships, there needs to be some clear boundaries that are set. Understand something. We live in this technology age today, right? So I can take my phone and I can video myself. I can take pictures of myself and I can send them to you, right? So let me explain this to you. In order for a person to maintain purity, there has to be some real integrity. Are you here? You can't be sending pictures of yourself naked to someone else. Let me tell you something else, because this is something else. A lot of people don't get this, and, and this is really graphic, and so I apologize for any children that may be in this room. But oral sex is sex. Did you hear what I said? So what's the boundary? I mean, are we allowed to kiss? Because, you know, youth used to come to me and they used to ask me, you know, Pastor Jason, what is it that is acceptable in our relationship? And I said, well, let me explain this to you. If you start making out, can I tell you something? Making out is foreplay. Hello? Y'all ain't hearing me. Making out is foreplay. For those dads that have daughters, how would you respond if you saw your daughter making out with some dude around the corner? Right? It, it would get pretty ugly. <laughs> okay, here's the point. The point is that that's inappropriate, right? How, how many, let, let, let's, let's just do a poll here. Let's just do a poll. How many of you would say making out in public, that's inappropriate? Raise your hand if you would say that. That's inappropriate, right? Okay. Put your hands down. How many of you would say holding hands in public is inappropriate? No, right? Okay, so you know what that means? That means the boundary is if you can't do it in public, you shouldn't be doing it at all until you're married. Oh, Bishop, you're saying I can't make out. How do I know if they can kiss? You'll find out. <laughs> Pastor Robert and I have discussed this before about the marriage vows. We're like, this is not in the Bible per se, but somebody took a great deal of time and they put this together and it's all scriptural. It's just not, you know, a wedding vow that's written out of the Bible. But you know what the last thing is that the minister says? You may now kiss your bride. You know, you know what the connotation is to that? Is that you haven't kissed her yet. Is that now you have made the relationship the way it should be? Now kiss her. Wow, what an amazing concept. So in this courtship, those are the boundaries. You can hold her hand. You can give her a little, that's it. You can, that, that, that's as far as we're going. Oh, Bishop, that's, listen. You want children that are pure? You want children that honor God? That's the right mindset. Oh, that's too hard. You know what? I remember when Pastor Aldo and, and Vanessa, when they were doing the youth ministry, they went to the, um, the, the um, what is that called? The True Love Waits Conference. And when they went to the True Love Wait Conference, you want to know what one of the parents in our church said to them? Do you really think kids are going to wait to have sex till they get married? Not with that attitude. Because your kid is going to get, you know, some kind of contraceptive for safe sex rather than teaching them. That is not biblical. 
Listen, courtship is not easy. And it is absolutely countercultural. Telling kids that they can't be making out, they can't be rubbing up on each other, they can't be sending each other crazy pictures. And how about this? And I'll and, and I use my own testimony. When the, the first time that I had sex, can I tell you something? I talked about sex on the phone for a month and a half before we ever did anything. What is the point? The point is, we didn't just jump into a bed. We were talking about it. We were preparing our mind. I was trying to prepare the way. I was like, yo, we got to talk about this as much as possible. Because if I could get her talking about it long enough, then guess what? She would be, be more comfortable when the time came. If I, if I talked about her taking her clothes off, when time came, it was going to happen. So what does that mean? No talking about craziness. Well, Bishop, how am I going to know? Do you talk to your kids? Do you talk to your kids? If you don't, you better start now. Now, there's a third option. These are options that I gave you here. These are all for young children. But there are some adults in here that are obviously single, so you can't have a dad like that, right? Maybe your dad doesn't know Jesus or something like that. So what is your option as a single adult? Well, this is one, and I took this from Mark Driscoll. It is called Christian dating. This is for adults only. But here's the thing. I'm going to say this right now. You need to set boundaries and you need to be a Christian. There needs to be some clear boundaries set. That you are not, that you can apply the same principle of no making out and all that. Because all that stuff, man, all y'all that are adults, y'all know. See, ladies, some of you, and, 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 let, me, let, let me let you into the mind of a man. Some of you ladies are like, making out, you know that? I, I can just make out and go to bed. Mm-hmm, that's you. God wired you differently all day long. I'm letting you know right now. We start making out, we better move on. Just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just keeping this real. And, and I don't think that I'm like different than any other guy. As a matter of fact, I know I'm just like all these other brothers in here and all of those that are out there because we've had conversations and we talk. And so for you ladies, you know, I just feel real intimate. Listen, he wants to go way intimate. Don't do it. I don't care how old you are. It doesn't matter. If you got to do that to keep him, you don't want him. And if you're trying to force her to do that to keep you, you need deliverance. You know what the problem with us is? That many of us are so insecure that we can't say no to those things because we are afraid we're going to lose something. Listen. There is one thing you need, and that is Jesus and his favor and his love in your life. If he or she doesn't agree with that, then you'll have issues and just move on. There needs to be boundaries. Let me say this as well. Going on a date doesn't mean you're dating. Did you hear me? Listen, I go out to you and my sister. We're not on a date. We're not dating, or should I say. But, you know, if anybody saw us, they'd be like, oh, Bishop is cheating on his wife. Be like, no, that's my sister. Hello. But ultimately, I won't, I, you know, I won't go out and eat, you know, and stuff like that with a whole bunch of other people. But the point of the matter is, going out one time, that's not, that, that's not the same thing. It's when you become exclusive. That's when you're dating. Let me say this as well. Accountability, I wish I could give you a scripture that says that you must be accountable as an adult Christian to the leaders in the church. Or something. I can't do that because I would have to add to the scriptures. And my daughter told me the other day, joking around, she's like, Daddy, you add to the scriptures, you go to hell. I was like, okay, we won't do that. <laughs> so ultimately, accountability, I gave you the example. Accountability is not mandatory, but it is wise and it is safe. In other words... 
What you should do is you should have a conversation with someone before dates, after dates. That will help you to be like, man, I got to come and look this person in the face, and I got to tell them what I was doing. And so if it was ungodly, it's going to make sure it's a godly person. Not someone's going to be like, oh, tell me what happened. <laughs> really? And, what, and then, then what? Oh, Some people like living vicariously through you. You don't want that person. You want the person that doesn't smile and is like, really? You're walking down the beach. Uh-huh. And what, and what happened then? What, 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 what? That's the person you want. Nah, Bishop, I don't want that. Well, whatever. You want to be pure until marriage? Then you'll want that. I'm just saying. I'm closing this point, all right? I've, I've, exceeded, I've exceeded my 10 minutes, but I'm almost done here. I'm going to give you some practical standards, some practical things for relationship to move from friends to being exclusive in this situation. First of all, opposite-sex relationships should only become emotionally involved when marriage is the purpose. Listen, you hang out. You do whatever, not exclusive. And what I mean is don't mean, when I say not exclusive and hang out, I don't mean like you're dating every girl in the church. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. Are we just hanging out? No, no, you a pimp. <laughs> and you need to be rebuked. But listen, what I'm saying is you have friends, you hang out socially, you know, in groups and all that stuff. But then you decide, you know what, I really, I really feel this person. I really feel like this person has these certain qualities I'll talk about in a moment. And so I want to I engage in this. And now, mind you, I have, a, I have an experience with my wife. And the thing was that I didn't want to become emotionally attracted to her. That happened naturally. But there was some standards and some criteria that were there before anything so that we could live godly and do the things that God wanted us to do. So ultimately, there, excuse me, there has to be those kind of standards that are there. So here's the question that I said we asked earlier. How do you know if the person is the one that I want to get, if, if I want to marry? Well, first of all, you trust God, not your own taste. There are plenty of people who have gone by their own taste, by their own feelings. And they're not together today. Because hmm. they didn't let God direct them because they were worried about taste testing. And they, mm, that tastes good. Uh-huh. Tastes good for a minute. Then it got sour. Why? Because you chose wrong. Three things that need to be there in this relationship. The first one is character. And, I, and it was funny because when I was looking down this list, I realized that this is the same thing that we look for in elders, the same thing we look for in deacons. The first one is character. The second one is capability or qualifications. And the third one is calling. So here's the first thing that you need to be concerned about for your children. And if you're an adult and you're considering opposite-sex relationship to go to that, that emotional place, opposite-sex relationship should only become emotionally involved when both people are true Christians. None of this missionary dating hoping that they'll get saved. You want to go on a missions trip? Go to Honduras. Oh, but he's such a nice guy, or she's such a nice girl. She just doesn't love Jesus. Okay, then that is an X, and we'll move on. But what if they do? If they do, then they'll come find you as God leads them. Because if they do, they're going to need some time to get their life right with Jesus. Hello. You see, as Minister Marisol Bennett was giving her testimony earlier today, their situation, different, different scenario. They were both in the world, 